0: It's The Real Estate Podcast, across every state, city and town of Australia.
1: And welcome to another episode of The Real Estate Podcast, available on iHeartRadio every morning and on Spotify and Apple and wherever you get your podcast from. Well, finally, a Friday has arrived, yes, the 19th day of August for 2022 and coming up this morning, because it is a Friday, we're going to be looking at that all-important question of how to negotiate from a position of strength when buying property. And talking of property, shipping container homes, they are not a new concept but are having a bit of a resurgence because of their affordability. In Cairns, there's a two-bedder container home and shed, which you can get for around $399,000. It's been listed. It's located on an elevated block with three architecturally designed 20-foot containers. And there's also one that's about 45 k's from Bathurst in New South Wales. Now, this home, also a container home sitting on a hill. And the new owner is going to get a parcel of land, which is 113 hectares. And the asking price is between 450 and $490,000. So, you know, that's not too bad, is it? 113 hectares with your container home this morning.
0: We are just as addicted to property as you are. Every weekday morning from 6.30. From first home buyers to property investors and everything in between, every morning on The Real Estate Podcast. It's the main centre forecast with propertybuyer.com.au.
1: And around Australia we go to check on your weather on this Friday morning. And first we go to Sydney, expecting a few showers today. 19 degrees is your forecast high. Melbourne also one or two pieces of rain and expecting a high of 15 degrees. Brisbane, sunshine with blue skies. 25 is your forecast top. And in Perth, cloudy but dry today with 19 degrees.
0: It's the Real Estate Podcast across Australia, seven days a week. Let's Talk Property, a podcast series with Rich Harvey. Well,
1: after a year and a half of incredible price growth, sellers are no longer, yes, no longer sitting in the box seats. And if you look at a Sydney or Melbourne in particular, they've gone past that inflection point in the market. Now, when listings were low and there were plenty of buyers, vendors could make extraordinary demands around price and conditions. They knew that if the first prospective buyer didn't play ball, there would be a dozen or so just waiting for their chance. Now, we're most likely at a point of rebalance where dominance in property dealings can swing either way. So how do you negotiate from a position of strength when a market is in a state of change? Well, to help answer that complex question, we have Rich Harvey, buyer's advocate and CEO of Property Buyer dot.com.au dot and a very good morning to you, Rich. A busy week,
2: yeah. Good morning, Craig. Always a busy week. It's been a good one though. So our team's really uh, kicking some goals this week with some new purchases for our clients. So we're very happy.
1: This is a good one to discuss because we're sort of, right now, the market is even evolving in August. So how would you characterise the market? Is it a buyer's market or are some people still holding on to the seller's market position?
2: Well, Craig, first of all, we've got to remember there's not one market that we're talking about. Right across Australia, there's 15,000 suburbs. So we can't just put a particular number or a single comment to say, this is how the market is. You know, each suburb has got individual characteristics and it's got its own supply and demand drivers. But what I can say, generally speaking, the mood of the market and where it's at right now is that we've seen the Sydney prices drop around 4.5%, Melbourne around 2.5%. When we got that first rate hike in the May federal election, that signaled a dramatic turnaround for property owners. It's turned into or turned from a seller's market into a buyer's market, but not in every area. So what we're seeing is some areas are seeing quite significant price discounts. We're seeing like prices have already dropped 10% or more, whereas some suburbs in the regional areas and some of the coastal areas, very, very low vacancy, and the prices are still creeping upward in those markets. So Craig, what I'd say is that buyers aren't necessarily in the box seat rising interest rates are weighing very heavily on people's borrowing capacity and their budgets. And a lot of vendors are actually holding off choosing to list their property at the moment. So that limited supply of property still means the
1: purchasers
2: need to bargain hard when
1: they're buying. And so what's your first step that you take when approaching a negotiation with a real estate agent? Because I think a lot of people will be very interested to see what tact you take.
2: Well, Craig, the very first step that I take is to treat the agent with respect and in a professional manner. In my rounds on the weekends or during the week when I do my open homes, I see so many buyers that have complete distrust and disdain for real estate agents and treat them like dirt. And guess what? If you treat someone like that, don't expect to get any information or favours in the negotiation process. It's just going to put the agent offside. So I think it's critical to understand how agents think and operate. So the minute you walk into an open home or or call up an agent, they're sizing you up. They're trying to work out, does this person have the money and are they genuinely interested in this property that they're selling? And those sales agents, they've typically been extremely well-trained in negotiation and sales tactics. So as you're going through the property, that agent will be listing with a, a very clued ear to go, are you going to be doing oohs and ahs as you walk through the property and to see if you've got any kind of emotional connection to the property.
1: All right. So tell us a little bit more about what an agent does.
2: Typically, an agent should be asking prospective buyers a bunch of questions like, what did you think of the home? Do you think it'll suit you? And on the way out, they should be asking you, what do you think this property is worth? But if I'm really interested in the property, I'm not going to give the agent an answer there on the spot. I'm simply going to say, look, I think this property could really suit my client pique their interest, right? But I'll say to them, I'm going to go back to my office and I'm going to do some analysis and then I'll give you a call and potentially give you an offer if we take it to the next level. What you're doing is you're gauging what sort of method the agent is using with you in that tactic and you're gauging their professionalism in that process.
1: Okay, and here's a question that we've covered quite extensively, but I know that this is really relevant for today's subject, and that is, how much knowledge should you have about a local market when going into bat with that whole negotiation process?
2: Craig, it's all about being well-educated about the market, and that makes you a formidable foe in the negotiation strategy. If you walk in and you've got no idea about the market, you're going to be eaten for breakfast by the agent. And it's quite daunting for an agent to enter a conversation with a potential buyer only to discover that you actually know more about recent sales than they do. So as I've said many times before, you've got to go to the open homes, go to the auctions, as many as you can, read the local listings, keep track of posts, articles, anything about that suburb. Consume as much data as you can on what's driving prices. And here's a couple of things you need to know. Number one, you've got to know median prices in the key suburb you're looking at and the surrounding six or seven suburbs. You've got to know the predominant property type that's within each suburb and what a three or four bedroom house will sell for, for example, in that area. You've got to know the gap between apartment prices and freestanding houses in that suburb. You've got to know the demographics, who's moving in, who's moving out, what types of downsizes, upsizes, family sizes there are. You've got to have a wealth of knowledge that's going to put you in the best position to make you a daunting foe in that negotiation strategy.
1: All right, so moving forward and past that, how do you then pitch your offer? And what price? Obviously it's kind of an open one. What price should you start with?
2: Look, we've talked about determining market value, but do you go in directly at what you think it's worth? If you think the house is worth one and a half million, do you go in at one and a half? But the key is to know what it should reasonably sell for. Your assessment of what it's worth is, you know, is the first step. So if you find that the seller is holding firm to that value and they're not really paying attention to what's happening in the market, you just got to walk away. Determining that that real value takes a lot of skill and you've got to be able to to really do that and put aside your emotion and just weigh up the pros and cons. To your question, what should be your first offer price? Well, the simple answer is there's no one-size-fits-all solution here. The typical strategy that most buyers use is to offer something significantly below their maximum offer price and gradually work their way up. Craig, the problem with that strategy is that the size of your incremental offers after you've made that first offer might be too large or too small to get the agent interested and they might think you're a time waster.
1: Okay. So with that kind of strategy in mind, how dangerous can that be playing that out? Well, the problem with that
2: putting in a really low offer to start and then working your way up is that Then the size of your incremental offers might be too big or too small to actually get the agent's interest to think that you're a genuine buyer and they might just think you're a time waster. What I've done, Craig, in some cases is I've gone in and I've actually presented what I call a best and final offer straight off the bat. I'll say to the agent, I'm going to offer you a really top price, but I won't be coming back and giving you a subsequent offer. And here's my reasons why. And I list the op- I list all of the sales that are relevant in comparison, put it in writing, and I say to the agent, I'm not coming back for a second buy. The- if you find another buyer, good luck to you. But here it is. Here's my offer. Take it or leave it by 5 p.m. tomorrow. Otherwise, we're moving on. So for me as a buyer's agent, I'm a lot more direct and upfront with the selling agents because we're professionals at our craft and the agent should be a professional at their craft. So our conversation is very much based around comparable sales and the pros and cons of the property we're talking about versus other ones on the market or that have recently sold.
1: Okay, so why don't you, because you've been down this pathway so many times before, how about giving us a couple of examples? I've
2: got a great example of a property I bought earlier in the year. It was uh, an off-market property. I'd done a letterbox shop in a local area, found a a four-bedroom, two-bath, two-car home, and it was a really difficult time, very competitive time in the market. Got an owner to respond to my letterbox drop, uh, went around, had a look. Now, the owner was pretty upfront, pretty transparent. I said, look, have you had agents through? He said, yes, we've had three agents through. They've quoted me between 2.2 to 2.25. I said, okay, well, that's a little bit above what my clients are willing to pay in this market, but let me have a chat to them. I ring the client. I said, look, I found the best property for you. We go through, we have a look, they love it. And then I ring the, the owner back after the inspection and I say to them, I've got a genuine buyer for you, but I'm going to be upfront with you. I know you want 2.2, but their maximum they can afford is 2.15. And I said, look, you know, if you're going to be selling this property on the open market, you're going to be paying sales commission, you're going to be paying marketing fees. So that'll save you 50,000. So I said, my offer of 2.15 is the same as 2.2. Which you got that concept, two minutes later, she rings me back, accepts the offer. So how good was that? Another example of a property I bought earlier in the year, where an owner wanted 2.1, and they really just had the property overpriced. And I kept watching it. Anyway, they they finally put an advertised price of 1.95. So I thought, you know what? This owner's pretty keen to sell. So I put in a cheeky offer of 1.7 because I actually didn't think we had much chance of buying it. I then increased my offer uh, three times and we ended up buying it at 1.86 because we had another buyer come in as well. We had a bit of competition, but I was able to nudge that buyer out by just $10,000 because I had a particularly good relationship with the agent and I got particular insights into how they were negotiating where I needed to be. Just having that relationship with the agent can sometimes mean the difference between getting a deal and not getting a deal.
1: So what do you think about the strategy of having multiple property options? I think this
2: is the best strategy, Craig, and I'm really pleased you raised it. So if you're a property buyer, you're going to be finding one property and you might fall in love with it. But what you've got to do is have option B, C and D up your sleeve. It's incredibly powerful to be able to say to an agent, you know what, if we can't get an agreement on this, that's fine. I've got another property down the road that I'm going to buy. Because then there's a fear of loss for that agent and a fear of loss for that vendor that they may not get the price. This is a particularly good strategy in a declining and correcting market. It doesn't work in a rising and really hot market. But right now, having those alternative properties is a fantastic way to go. The other thing you've got to think about is what if you can't actually buy the property? It might just mean you need to keep renting. You might need to look further afield. But having those other options is a really key power play in your negotiations.
1: And finally, to wrap things up, what's a few tips for our audience with relation to successful negotiations?
2: Well, I've alluded to one before, Craig, and that's to stay well connected. You've got to have good relations with selling agents. They're at the coalface of new listings and with market movements. And maintaining really good lines of communication is really important if you're looking for a property that's got limited stock in a certain area. And once you've made that offer, you've got to stay in connection with the agent on the progress. Don't let 24 hours go by without getting an update from that agent. Another tip is to rely on a professional buyer's agent. Having someone who step in the fray removes all of the emotion and they just provide a, a hassle-free solution. And they can give you particular guidance, and they can know the way to frame offers and the way to position offers so you've got the best chance of success. For me, it's all about having the right attitude and the approach and having the fortitude and patience to get the deal done right. It's not just what you say when you make an offer. It's how you say it in your, in your tone and the language, and also particularly in emails. All of those things make a huge difference in the outcome of your negotiation.
1: All right. So there's a lot of information there negotiating property strengths and how to do it successfully. Rich Harvey, you have yourself a fantastic Friday, a great weekend. Look forward to chatting next week.
2: Thank you so much, Greg. Always a pleasure chatting.
0: We connect you to the best real estate information across Australia, The Real Estate Podcast.